0: So um, in the last gathering we were in, literally on cue, no joke, on cue, as soon as Zach said amen, uh, and the people started sitting, a little kid in the back corner went, yay, (laughs) loud as can be, just so excited. And I, I remember the instant it happened, I thought to myself, man, that that would be the way we are entering into these spaces, that we are just so excited that it is that time as we've prepared ourselves before the Lord to be able to step into the incredible stories of God. That's really in many ways how I've been feeling uh, over the last few months here in the larger story of Mosaic. I've just had this sense that God is preparing us so incredibly well For what he has for us next, for the story that he wants to unfold in our lives. You see, I wholeheartedly believe, as do the elders here at Mosaic Church, that we are invited as a church not just to do church or or to do religious things, but to actually walk in and change the world, to actually change the world on behalf of Christ as he works in us and through us to do his work uh, that that he has allowed us. Us to participate in, right? So, so we know that, and we want to go do that. And so uh, 2013, 2014, and 2015 has really been preparation years here at Mosaic Church, working diligently on health and working to facilitate whatever growth comes with that health. And so as we work on health, if things grow, then we facilitate that. Uh, we do not want to turn any more people away when they try to check the kids in, right? I mean, uh, we do that every gathering. Now, we, we don't want to do that, but we need to facilitate these things. Uh, last year, in fact, if you guys remember, if you were here, uh, we even had a small initiative that we called Preparing for What's Next, And we invited you as a church to pray with the leadership for wisdom as we seek out what's next, both in our health as well as in our facilitating of growth. And we invited you uh, to give into that initiative to continue to pay down the debt on this building so that our equity increases. We have a lot of equity in this building. We wanted more. Uh, And to be able to prepare the way for us to do the research we needed to do in our community to see what the options were out there there I want you, to, you guys to know even in that initiative these all these little pieces that we've been throwing into the into the mix to prepare for what's coming have gone incredibly well. We've been so encouraged even by that initiative and what it brought to the table, allowing us to add equity to this building, allowing us to do the research we've needed to do in our region to see what facilities could be available for us to continue to figure out. Can we expand on this property? Can, do, we, do we move somewhere else? What does it look like? What do campuses look like? We've done a lot of work on that. We've come up with a lot of awesome stuff. We're waiting on the last few pieces from the city of Winter Garden on some projects. Property in Winter Garden, we're looking at to step into. We figured out we can't expand on this property because they won't allow for it, and so we've been able to work through that. So, your participating in the preparation periods, both with prayer and with generosity, has helped us prepare for what's next. And I feel like that's the entire season we're in. I mean, we're in the book of Acts, for crying out loud. I did not sit eight years ago when God said, start in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and go, oh, I got a plan. We could strategically make it to the book of Acts right in 2014, and that way it could be really preparing the church. I just traveled where I was told, and here we are in the book of Acts. And what is the book of Acts? It is the first document written about the early New Testament church and all that they discovered in the movement of the gospel as they were gospel carriers preparing the church of the New Testament. That includes us, the beautiful emerging church of the New Testament, to be able to carry the gospel well. And so we are in a very book that is preparing us for what's next. And and that's been incredibly exciting. As we've been traveling through the book of Acts, what have we discovered, right? We've, we've watched the gospel expand from Jerusalem. Jesus, when He ascended, told His disciples, I am going to make you my witnesses, my carriers of the gospel in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And we have watched that reality unfold as the gospel moved from Jerusalem, as the Spirit of God came in power, and Jesus said, I'm going to give you my spirit, I'm going to give you my kingdom, I'm going to give you my mission, and you're going to go. We watched it spill out of Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria, and then into the, literally the ends of the earth as it's spilling out now. We've been traveling with Paul uh, throughout the known world. Uh, so far, we've been uh, in Galatia, Pergia, we've been across the way into Macedonia, we went from Philippi down to Corinth and Macedonia, we hit Thessalonica, we hit uh, uh, Berea, we hit Athens, we've cr- crossed across to Ephesus, we've been back in Pergia and Galatia, and now we're in Ephesus with Paul as he is expanding the gospel ministry there. And it's been exciting in Ephesus, right? Because you remember, if you were here last week in Ephesus, he was in the synagogue preaching the gospel to the people, the Jewish people, that make the most sense to be able to recognize the Messiah. There were some stubborn folk in there that didn't want anything to do with it. He walked away, went to the Hall of Tyrannus, and he preached in the public setting, in the public learning space, the Hall of Tyrannus. And remember how that story ended? Luke bothers to say that every household in all of Asia heard the gospel over the next two years because of that. I mean, Luke is a very precise writer. He wouldn't have said every household unless he meant every resident, every household. They all heard it. And so we look at that and go, how is that? possible that out of these two years in Ephesus, this extraordinary movement of the gospel happened? That's a great question. Well, Luke bothers, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to actually give us some clues about that. So, we just heard this big picture. Over the next two years, this happened. Now, Luke is going to call us into the story of those two years and show us a couple of things that happened during those two years that are going to go, you want to know how all of Asia heard about the gospel? Let's take a look at what God was doing. It was wild and crazy. So grab your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Acts. We're going to go to chapter 19. If you're using one of the Bibles we provide, we are still on page 603. Welcome to 2015. If we ever move from 603, I will let you know. But for now, we're, here we are, okay? Page 603, uh, Acts chapter 19, verse 11. If you're using a smart device or brought one of your own Bibles, Acts chapter 19, verse 11. okay. Now verse 10, remember here's what it said, this continued for two years, what is this, the preaching of the gospel in the hall of Tyrannus? So that all, all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. What a move of God. And then it says this, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So we start the next sentence setting a pace for what was happening in Ephesus during this time, and Luke bothers to hear, use some interesting wording here. He goes, God was doing something in Ephesus, and it was extraordinary, right? Luke uses this word because extraordinary means out of the ordinary. It means completely different than usual. Was it extraordinary that miracles were occurring during this time? No. No. We know that they were in multiple stories, but Luke actually here says the kinds of things that were happening in Ephesus as God was doing his work through Paul were unusually unusual, okay? And and he actually goes on to say how unusual they were. Look, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Super weird. Are you weirded out? I'm weirded out, okay? We got handkerchiefs. We got aprons. You walk by Paul. Your hanky touches Paul. You run home. Lay it on some demon-possessed person. Lay it on some sick person. Bam! They're healed. Demon gone. That's weird. Let's admit it. Let's just talk about it right here, okay? That's weird. Now here's the deal. Understand, because you know, uh, the second this stuff happens in Bibles, you got televangelists with hankies they're, they're shipping to you, right? So, so here's the deal. Remember when Luke says... Some extraordinary things were happening here. They are, by definition, out of the ordinary. Was Luke running around with handkerchiefs in, uh, in uh, Philippi, uh, in Thessalonica? In fact, do we hear anything in Paul's ministry thus far where these extraordinary things were happening? No, no, we don't. He was stoned. He was almost killed. He couldn't even help himself half the time in the physical sense. Was Paul doing miracles before this? absolutely. But were they like this? No, this is something incredible happening. Luke's literally writing, God was doing extraordinary things through Paul in Ephesus, so much so that these things are happening. Do you remember when Peter was walking around Jerusalem and and it said of him in the book of Acts that his shadow would pass by someone that was sick and it would touch them and they would be well? And you go, what on earth? Now, have we built a principle throughout the book of Acts and all the letters from then that from now on make sure your shadow touches people that are sick? No. There's these moments where literally Luke goes, something was happening here that was out of the ordinary, crazy cool, crazy in fact, and and God was up to something here. So you first read that and you're like, wow, hankies and aprons. Okay, here we go. Take a look. Verse 13, here's where it always goes next, always does. When extraordinary things start happening, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjourn you by the by the Jesus who Paul proclaims. Okay, so what on earth is going on here? There were some guys in town in Ephesus. We don't know if they were part of the Jewish guys that were stubborn in the, uh, in the synagogue or if there were some Jews that were traveling around as itinerant exorcists, okay? So during this time when people had scenarios and circumstances they could not do anything about, you'd often call in a uh, a person who dabbled in the, the arts of magic, of witchcraft, if you were a pagan. If you were a Jewish person, you would go find a priest that was trained in the ability to exorcise demons by asking God to do things. So we're told there were some priests in town that were itinerant exorcists. They went around and the way that they did their thing, made their living and stuff was to exorcise demons. In Ephesus, what's going on in Ephesus? Ephesus. Paul is in extraordinary ways just healing sick and exercising demons to the point, you see the connection now, that even things that touched Paul had the power to do extraordinary things. God was at work in some very unique ways, and people saw this and went, oh, oh, we could do this, and they took the name of Jesus to use it as a name because it has power in it to be able to do things, Right? In this day, in the pagan world, there was an understanding that if you wanted to invoke the power of a god to do something, you needed to know that god's name. If you knew that god's name, then you had a much stronger chance of invoking power from that god. So this idea was, in the name of whatever this god is, there is power, and if you have the name, you have the secret trinket to bring the power. So these guys are like, sweet, listening to Paul, every time something extraordinary happens, what do you think Paul says? In the name of Jesus. Why does Paul do that? Because Paul is a pagan and knows that the name of Jesus is a trinket that you can throw around and use like power. No. No, that's not why Paul does it. Paul does it because anything Paul does, he brings glory to God. That's what we ought to do. So it's not that Paul is using the name of Jesus like a tool or a trinket to do powerful things. It's that whenever powerful things happen because he belongs to Jesus and Jesus is working through him, he immediately makes sure everybody knows, this ain't in the name of Paul, this is in the name of Jesus. It's Jesus doing the work, not me. Don't get confused, right? What do the people around him do? (gasps) Oh, that name seems awesome. Let's do that. So we hear the story. Some guys were going around, and this is what they were saying. Exactly this. We adjourn you in the name of Jesus, who Paul serves. Okay, you heard that. That was a specific sentence again, in quotes, by Luke. Luke is a precise man. That's what they were saying. Verse 14, we could make a movie out of what comes next. Just warning you, it's going to get crazy. Seven sons. Isn't that how any movie should start? seven sons of a Jewish high priest, right? (laughs) Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. What were they doing? This. They were going in to situations with demonically possessed people, and they were saying these exact words, we adjourn you in the name of the Lord Jesus that Paul proclaims. Okay, that's what they were doing, and here's what went down, okay? But The evil spirit answered them. Okay, let's just stop here for a second. (laughs) Paint a picture. We're in a little house. These houses were little. They were not big. Little house, okay? There's a guy in the house. He's possessed by a demon. He's wild and crazy. People call the itinerant Jewish priests. There's a guy in the house. He's crazy. They go, don't worry. We got this. And seven priests, seven go into the house. One guy, seven priests. They're in the little house. They surround the guy. What do they have with them this time they didn't have last time? I adjourn you in the name of Jesus that Paul proclaims. Ooh, it's going to be awesome. This is going to be sweet. Except this time as they do that and say that, it says, but the evil spirit answered them. So, when the sentence has the word but in it and the evil spirit answered you, that's not a good combination. Okay? (laughs) You never want that sentence after you've just gone, leave in the name of Jesus that Paul proclaims, okay? But the evil spirit answered them. What on earth did the evil spirit say? I can't wait. I'm I'm sorry, this I find hilarious. It's coming. Here it goes. I'm going to laugh. Okay, here it goes. Jesus, I know, the evil spirit says. Remember, they just went, in Jesus' name, that Paul proclaims, get up. The spirit goes, huh, that's odd. I know Jesus. Yep, if he were here, I wouldn't be. I know him. Check. I recognize Paul. That I do. You're talking about the Paul that's running around Ephesus, taking guys like me, kicking us out, right? Yep, check. I recognize that name. I got it. Look. Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, this is my favorite part, but who are you? <laughs> that is so good, that is so good, seven priests around the guy, get up, I know Jesus, I recognize Paul, I don't know you, who are you? Now, you think it's funny? It's not funny yet, that's not the funny part, here's the funny part, okay? I don't even know why this happened but this is so super cool. Take a look at this, okay? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them. I mean, how cool is this? Seven guys in a room with one guy. The demon goes, I know Jesus, I recognize Paul. Don't know you, and the next thing this demon does is with the guys in, leaps on the seven priests. They're running around the room like crazy, and he over- overpowers all of them. This is like that movie, the doors, windows, get me out, get me out. I mean, it's awesome. It's like a ninja story, man. You know when you have those movies, 23 guys with knives, one ninja, scenes over, one ninja, 23 guys on the ground. This is what's going on. The seven priests screaming their heads off. Imagine if you're outside this house. They go in. Because you know, somebody called them, right? Hello, there's a demon in the house. They go in. They start hearing screaming. I think it's going well. Then they go, those are different voices. I think seven of them. Ah, get me out, get me out. Guy overpowers them. No, no, it gets worse. Look at this. Eventually, I suppose the demon opened the door and it says this so that they fled out of the house. Wait for it. Naked and wounded. (laughs) This is not emotionally wounded, folks. This is naked and wounded. So, if you're outside the house, right? I mean, this one, seven priests run out of a house. All their clothes are off. The demon took it all. They're also bleeding and wounded, they were overpowered quickly. They run out naked screaming, run away, run away. I am Facebooking that in two flat seconds.
1: <laughs> I mean,
0: that's going on YouTube. That's Instagram like that. I got my phone ready. Oh, this is viral. And that's exactly what happened. They went total viral. Take a look. It said this. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus. <laughs> so everybody heard about the seven priests. I think they left town okay? Everybody in Ephesus hears about these seven priests that went in to invoke the name of Jesus to get a demon to leave a person. The demon said to them, "No, Jesus, recognize Paul, don't know you, here comes the beating. They got beaten up, their clothes got stolen, they ran out of the house screaming naked and wounded and ran away. And all of Ephesus went, I mean, can you imagine a coffee shop next day? Did you hear about the seven priests, man? Seven naked priests ran out of the house? Oh yeah, I heard about them. That is super cool, hilarious, okay? Except that what it did invoke was not super cool, hilarious, okay? Well, it's a weird story, isn't it? Can we just admit that? Super weird story. Why would Luke put a story in like this? He puts a story in like this, and I just go, I don't even understand. I mean, I get it. It's a neat story, but it's the seven priests, and the demon, and, and Paul, and the handkerchief. It's just so many weird stuff in here. And then the next moment in the story reveals to us the beauty and purpose of this story becoming central in this moment in Ephesus, because remember, what are we trying to figure out? How did the gospel have such an incredible move in all of Asia out of this little town of Ephesus? And one of the things we're discovering here is that God was doing extraordinary things through His person on the ground, and when others tried to copycat it, didn't go well. But take a look at what happens next. That's not why the gospel moved through Asia. You might think, I know why the gospel moved through Asia, because Paul was doing miracles. No, no, that is not yet true. Take a look. Watch this. This is actually what happens. Look at this. And it says this, and this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. Now listen to the sentence, and fear fell upon them all. They were afraid. Why? Are you kidding me? Naked, wounded priests who are used to exercising spirits ran screaming out of a house when they used the name of Jesus. Okay? Would that not invoke some fear in you? Would that not cause you to go, oh, don't mess with this? Yeah. Now, here's where the sentence gets a little strange. Take a look. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was, what would you expect there? There. Feared, uh, avoided. No, it was extolled. That's what Luke writes. So it's crazy. An incident occurs in the town of Ephesus from where a massive movement of the gospel is about to explode into all of Asia. And in the beginning of this movement, there is an incident with seven priests who are naked and screaming and wounded. Everybody hears about it. They fear the name of the Lord, and in their fear of Jesus, they extol Him. They lift Him up. They worship Him. That's crazy. They go, whoa, what is it that happened in their minds? Whoever Jesus is, don't Mess with him. He's real. Oh, there might be lots of gods that aren't real. He's real. Dumb. See, fear and then extolling, lifting up. Wow, Jesus is big. Be careful with that one, right? Now look, look what it says next. It says, also many of those who were now believers. So it's talking about the people that were believers that heard about this incident. Look at this came confessing and divulging their practices, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them all in in the sight of all. And they counted the value of all the books and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. It was a massive movement of confession and repentance actively in the biblical community, right? And look at this, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Why did the Lord word of the Lord increase and prevail mightily? Because of Paul's miracles? No, because of the response of the biblical community to the awakening that what they're dealing with is real. Do you remember another story like this? If you've been traveling with us to the book of Acts, you ought to. You ought to go, something feels very familiar about this story. Yes, it does, In Jerusalem, the same thing happened. It was a single incident, super weird. We even talked about it then as super weird. And it happened, and its result was beautiful and powerful and set the foundation for the move of the gospel from Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria in a cultural context that was going to be extremely challenging. Here's what happened. The biblical community was born in Jerusalem after the Spirit of God came at Pentecost. They had come together, thousands of them. There were many added daily to them, so the community was growing very big, thousands and thousands of people very fast. They came together as a community. They were sharing all their stuff. They were functioning well, and there were even people selling property and bringing it to the apostles to share with those who had need. And some people in a community like that could quickly begin to say, this is a new emerging community that is going to be one powerful force to be part of. I want in, and I want to matter in this community. I want to be special. You don't come to the community for the sake of being part of the story of God. You come because the community can be advantageous to you, as can the gospel. And so a guy named Ananias came along. He sold a bunch of property, and he brought it to the apostles. Now, he didn't sell all his property. He just sold some, probably enough that he could bring significance to the apostles, but not enough that it cost him too much, right? So we know in the world we live in, this is just truth, folks. It happens in the church as well. It shouldn't, but it does. If you want to be significant in a space in our cultural context, what can you do? One of the ways you can be significant is write big checks, right? You're able to bring big resources to the table, move and shake things. Then people go, oh, you're special, right? And you start getting treated differently. We shouldn't do that in the church, but it still does happen. And so you could imagine if I could bring resources to the table, to this community, and show myself special, then they will honor me and I can play into this. The other thing Ananias had figured is if you're going to bring it, you know what gets celebrated in this community? People that really sacrifice, So here's what he does. He lies to the apostles. He says, I sold everything, all of it. I have nothing left. It's all yours. Whoa, Ananias is incredible. Look at how much he brought, and look, he sold it all. Except that the Spirit of God says to the apostles, he's lying. So the apostles go, are you sure you sold it all? I mean, all of it? I mean, if you didn't, it's okay. This is still a great deal. You don't have to sell it all. There was no like, you got to sell it all or don't bring it. No, 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 it's all of it and God strikes him dead, he dies for lying, I remember thinking when I read that preparing for that message, all my kids are dead, all of them. <laughs> I'm dead, my wife's dead, my kids are dead, my wife not, she never lies, I'm not even kidding, but other than my wife, everybody else, you're all dead, okay, so here's the deal. I walked in and I'm like, oh my gosh, if God's going to kill people that lie, that's a problem. Why would he kill Ananias? I mean, that's crazy. No, it gets worse. Remember, Ananias gets dragged off and buried. His wife comes a few hours later. The apostles are like, hey. She comes. She says, Ananias sold all his land. Did he bring you the money yet? He did. He sold it all. Are you sure? Did you guys have a cup of coffee about that? Uh Uh-huh. No, it's all good. God kills her too. And remember what it said there? As weird as that moment was. And you know the world goes, you see, God's an angry God and he just wipes people No, 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 no. Do you remember what happened there? I don't know what Ananias and Sapphira's future is. Maybe they're with God forever. Maybe they're not. I don't know. Here's what I do know. That moment mattered a great deal to a very infant biblical community that needed to know something. This is very real. This is very real. Take this very seriously. And they did. Remember what it said? The community fear fell over the whole community. It said that. And it said, and those who believed entered in with greater conviction than ever. They laid themselves down and said, this is real. Yes, I'm in. I'm not going not gonna to trifle with this. And those who did not believe, they stepped back and said, don't misuse that community. Don't mess with that God, because He doesn't play around. And this is exactly the response we see here in Ephesus and what's happening in Ephesus. Ephesus is the beginning hub of a massive movement of the gospel in all of Asia, just like Jerusalem was the beginning hub of a massive gospel movement in all of Judea and Samaria. And so God is preparing the biblical community to be serious about who He is and what He's called us to so that we can walk into all of our environment and carry the gospel well, so that we're not dabbling in all the distractions that run around us. Half these guys were still dabbling in witchcraft and doing stuff, but they were believers. Now, that's beautiful because it does say what makes you a believer is not whether you're still struggling with stuff. What makes you a believer is that you know Jesus and He's rescued you, and that's awesome. But if you are still dabbling in all sorts of distractions, uh, chasing after your idols and playing with your stuff, that is going to keep you from becoming the community that can see a movement like we just saw in Asia. What moved the gospel through Asia was not Paul's miracles. What Paul's miracles did, along with some misuse of them by others, got the community to go, God is really real. And this community is really part of something bigger, and we ought to take that seriously. See, the first thing that happens in these stories is this. God screams at all of humanity and says, the world in which I live is real, the spiritual world. The eternal world is real. That's the big story. You're in the little story. Take it seriously. If you're not a believer, do not trifle with this. Don't play around misusing the gospel, misusing the biblical community, misusing the name of Jesus. Don't do that. You do that. It does not go well for you. If you are a believer, then may this remind you that you're part of a bigger story than you could have imagined. May this remind you that you belong to something bigger. Stop wasting your time distracted by all the little things that keep you busy, but don't get you in the game because it matters. It matters come, lay it down, move forward. We are part of a bigger story, and this reminds us to take it seriously. In this note, if you are somebody that has found yourself on a regular basis utilizing the story of God, the gospel, the community of God, or even the things of God to try and get what you want, and you feel like you've gotten away with it just fine. I mean, you don't actually have a relationship with Jesus. You just, you, this, is a, this is a cool community to use and a, a cool stuff. It does not go well, okay? And here's the deal. If you think your nightmare is that at some point, some demon is gonna speak to you and say, I know Jesus, I know these guys, I don't know you, and pounce on you, steal your clothes, and run, send you running out of the church screaming and bleeding, and naked, by the way, it's kind of embarrassing. That's actually not your nightmare. That's your hope. That's your hope. Here's your nightmare. Ready? In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, there will be some who leave this planet. They will show up, and they will say, Jesus, I cast out demons in your name, so apparently it worked. Sometimes people that use the name of Jesus to cast out demons, the demon went, should we leave? Let's go ahead and leave. He'll think he has power. That's awesome. We'll keep him. And they leave. And they're going to say, we prophesied in your name, and here's what Jesus is going to say to them. It says in Matthew chapter 7, I'm sorry, I, I don't know you you do not belong to me, depart from me, you wicked person. See, that's the nightmare. Pray that at some point, if you don't know Jesus and you're dabbling in messing with the things of the biblical community, pray that at some point, some demon beats you half to death so that you can come awake because you do not want to leave this planet in that place. Now, if you're a believer like me, then this is a beautiful story that invites us back into a serious place it reminds us that we are made for a bigger story than this because our part is not the seven priests, right? Our part is Paul. Now, listen to this. This gets crazy cool. Listen to this. When it says in the very first line, and God was doing extraordinary things, miracles through Paul, right? The word doing there can also be translated the word working. God was working extraordinary miracles. And the word working or doing translated from the Greek, it is the same root word as Paul uses in the book of Ephesians when he writes in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, he writes these words after a paragraph of describing the grace in which we have been saved by God's wonderful and great love. He says this, verse 10, we are therefore His workmanship, the word poema, the word we get the root word for, for poem. We are God's poem, God's work, God's art, God's display to the world, right? We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that He has prepared in advance for us to do. That's Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. The word poema there for workmanship, it is the same root word He uses here, for God was working great miracles for them. So what is through Paul? What does that mean? Here's what God is saying. Paul, who knows me, I made him for the work I'm going to do through him to expand redemption to a dying world. That's his purpose. And when I work through him, it's going to be epic and awesome. If you don't know me and you try to use me as a trinket, you're going to get pounced on. It's going to go badly. See, our confidence is that we were rescued by Christ's great work of redemption Four big, wondrous things. And so when we go out into the world, our call in the story is not beware, don't play with the name of Jesus. Our call in the story is don't be distracted by the dailiness that constantly comes at you and keeps you from remembering you are made for a giant story in the spiritual places where you can impact eternity. Or you can just wake up every morning and try to get through the day, which is that you want. Jesus still loves you either way. You still get to have eternity with him either way because your rescue is not up to your work. He rescued you, but since you're rescued, where do you want to live? You see, I get it. I live in the dailiness too, just like you. Uh, we're getting ready to go on vacation. Uh, we take eight kids on vacation because we try not to leave several of them at home and then go. It doesn't usually go well. Uh, we've thought about it, but it, you know, just we're not there yet. Um, so I'm kidding. So we take eight kids on vacation with us, and so to get ready to pack a car and drive 13 hours to North Carolina with eight kids in the car and all their luggage and all their stuff, it takes an extraordinary amount of work. And so the week before vacation is the week we recover from f- over the, th- the weeks of vacation. Okay. So my wife, she is a master at getting things done, unbelievable. That's why we actually are still alive, because she exists in our home. And so uh, the week before vacation, we, we actually sat and talked before this week. We, we sat in the bed together. We're like, okay, this is that week, okay? So for a season I have to kind of uh Brooks that she has to kind of shut down sort of the the normal Brook and turn into this very efficient effective human being that gets things done but just to do, do not step into the way of those things getting done okay So it, it it's 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 a it's a week and I was I was so ready man I mean a week ago this is that week Brooke's going to be like really stressed and going nuts, getting it all done. I'm going to be gentle and kind. I'm going to navigate it beautifully, pray with her every night and in the morning. I, mean, I had these thoughts. That, that's why I am me, because I have thoughts, and then they go away, and then I don't do them. And so, so this week, we enter into this week, it did not go well. It did not go well at all. It was, it was a very bit, we're going to recover for weeks on vacation from this week. Did it not go well because Brooke didn't do well? No, no, she did what she always does this week. She got it done. I didn't do well. I forgot everything from last week. So when she started getting all stressed and directing and do this and get that done, I'm like, well, you telling me what to do. And you're on me all the time. I'm not on you all the time. The kids are nuts. And stop doing that. and Go with your mom. Why? Because I forgot, man. I forgot that we're part of a bigger story, that there's an eternity in which we play, that we've been invited into, that we get to carry the gospel into every environment, every circumstance, every relational dynamic, every resource. I forgot again. I did. Went badly this week. And here I stand at the end of the week. I wish I could go back and I could do it over again, but I can't. It's over. See, you and I forget you go to work. You got deadlines, and they, and they got to get done. You 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 don't have work right now, and you got to get a job. So you're on it, on it, on it. It's it's on you. You've got kids. You got to get them ready for stuff. It's already almost school, and we're not even halfway through the summer. And you're getting school uniforms and one of this and what teacher they're gonna have. And you're on that. And you've got your neighbors that you haven't talked to for a while, and you're trying to be like good to them, but you know you're busy and you're running around to five soccer games. And you got stuff going. And the, the bills they got to be paid too. Shoot, forgot about the bills, and now the water's cut off, and you got to go call. And I'm sorry about that. And that's all. Go, and then you go to bed, and then you wake up the next morning, and it starts over again. And you, somewhere deep in you, you're like, I, I, th- I think I'm supposed to be devoted to Jesus, but I'm not, because I don't even know who the heck Jesus is anymore, because I'm just, right? And don't say, no, that's not me. That's no, all of us. This is the lives we live. And this story comes along, and it shouts at us, whispers to our hearts. Oh, you were made for so much more than that. See, you are my workmanship and when I do my work in and through you, oh, miracles happen. Miracles, big things. So, biblical community, when you are reminded of this, when you see this again, don't look backwards and go, oh, the guilt, oh, the shame, I've blown it for the week. If I were to do that, man, I would just be under a rubble of guilt and shame every second of my day and I'd be dead. Here's what it says. Look at that and be reminded of who you are and then what? Do exactly what the biblical community here did, even if you have to do it every day. And I would have to do it every day. At the end of the day, you come and you say, oh gosh, Um, I'm reminded that this is all real and I need to take it seriously. I kind of didn't today. So I'm going to confess. I'm going to repent. I'm going to say these are the things I, I didn't do, God. I blew it. I'd like to do them better next week. Would you empower me to that? What did the biblical community do here? What was their response to the story of the seven priests? It said, and those who had already believed came, confessed and divulged the things they had been dabbling in, their idols, their things, to each other. They were active in it. They burned their books and God prepared them to become in a community that over the next two years would see all of Asia come to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, we want to go change the world, you and I, don't we, as a church? Yeah, we do. It's not going to take more work. It's not going to take us hunkering down and pushing harder because if we do it ourselves, then we're standing in a house, seven of us, one guy full of a demon. We're going to go, we're going to get him down, man. If we need to pull Jesus, we will. And We're going to get beaten up and kicked out of the house. But if we constantly come back to the gospel, there is a bigger story it is real. I was made for it. I'm His workmanship. Today, in amongst the many things that are mine to do, instead of having them be idols, anxieties, stresses, maybe I should see them as gifts and opportunities by which I can make the gospel known. Can you make the gospel known when you're out of work and trying to find a job? Yes, you can. It could be a beautiful journey with zero anxiety, trusting the journey, even if you see your resources dwindling quickly. Can you make the gospel known if you have the dream job you've always wanted that was going to be your idle job and now you're in it and you're afraid it's going to be your idle? Yes, you can make the gospel known there. You can be brought back and saying, I am the CEO of an entire conglomeration that's global. I can make the gospel known there. Can you make the gospel known if your resources have dwindled to nothing? Yeah. How about if you have more resources than you know what to do with and you are afraid you're going to get caught up in being prideful? Yeah, you can make the gospel known there too. Challenging relationships? Sure you can. Easy relationships? Absolutely. Is there any space, any circumstance, any relationship, any challenge, any lack of resource that is actually impossible for you and I to see as an opportunity to say, I'm going to make the gospel known? No. What about this one? I got one for you you have miserably failed again today. You didn't spend any time with God. You didn't pray. You were totally distracted, and you chased after all your idols. Ooh, yes or no, I can't make the gospel known there. No, you can, actually. It's called confession, repentance, and a trusting of the gospel as bigger than your failures. See, even when we fail, we can confess and repent like this community did and say, tomorrow, I will try again. So, where are we? As we leave here, a story like this. What did it do for this community? What should it do for us? When you walk out of here, here's what I've got. One, you ought to fix your eyes on Jesus and set your minds on things above. Why? Because the world up there is real, folks. It's actually the real world, And you ought to remember that so you don't get so captivated by the temporary world that you forget yourself. So fix, preach the gospel to yourself, preach the gospel to yourself, panic, preach it to yourself, preach it to those around you, beg them to preach it to you, and then preach it to the world. Okay. Two, examine your heart. At the end of each day, just examine your heart and don't, please don't do this, (gasps) I have failed again. Shame and guilt come and consume me. We all live there, folks. We all do. This is what we actually get to do. Today didn't go well. I was captivated by my, 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 my job. I was anxious of this. I was mad at that relationship. I blew it with the kids. I did this wrong. I didn't spend time. Okay, God, I, my heart is captivated by things it shouldn't be. Today it was again. Would you come? Would you help me? I confess. Help me to burn the books. Help me to walk forward. Examine, confess, repent. Examine, confess, repent. Do it with someone. And last but not least, every morning wake up, every night go to bed, and know this without a shadow of a doubt. If you know Jesus Christ, you belong to the creator and sustainer of the universe. The demons know Him well and they recognize you just fine. You have nothing to fear. You have nothing to be full of shame or guilt about. You can confidently walk into the world that sits before you in the day and say, today, I know that I can confidently walk into this world and be an ambassador for Christ. And if I blow it today, I will repent tonight. The enemy will not win with me because that Is the freedom of the gospel. That's the freedom of the gospel. That we never forget that we can walk into life with the confidence and knowledge that we belong to Jesus. And because we do, because we do, though distracted at times, the spiritual realms know him and they recognize us. And we're just fine. That is a pretty awesome deal. You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that have been prepared in advance for you to do. He has prepared you well. Go church confidently in Christ and go find those good works and go do them and tell everyone it is in the name of Jesus that I do these things. Let's pray. God, thank you for this really super weird, crazy cool story. May we remember the seven priests as they run naked and afraid out of their house screaming so that we would remember that the world that you've told us exists and the world you've rescued us into and the world you've restored our created purpose for and the world that we are destined to arrive in in the future is real, it's here, and we get to live expanding your kingdom on this planet. May you keep us from being so distracted by the dailiness that we are confronted by so that we are neither distracted by the thousands of things thrown at us, nor are we distracted by the guilt and shame that haunts our souls. But instead, that we would constantly come back and say, I get to confess, I get to repent, I get to be confident and focused and fixed again, and I get to step forward in Christ. Help us to forget what is behind and press on toward what is ahead. Remind us of the truths that we belong to you, our souls are rescued, our purpose restored, our future redeemed, and so all that we need and all that we will ever want is already ours. Instead of using you and the gospel for our benefit to extract more for ourselves, may we instead, with great excitement and joy, step into the stories you have for us this day and find a way to make you known in the midst of whatever circumstances, relational challenges, or resource challenges we face. We pray in Jesus' name.